0: First of all, let me reiterate what Justin has already expressed, that we as a church family want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms here. We we realize there's no greater sacrifice, no higher calling, no more Christ-like example of the sort of selfless love and devotion we see in, in God's heart for us than that of motherhood. And so we hold you in high esteem. We honor you. Uh, I, when my on Mother's Day and Father's Day, I like to have my parents stand, and my mother and father right back there, if you'd stand, please. Uh, where yet? Right there, right in the middle, middle of the middle there. Uh, 80, 88 and 85, but they look about my age, so that's good. <laughs> good sign for me. Um, uh, you know, I've seen the devotion of motherhood with my own mom, with my wife, Gail, certainly with our three kids, with... Our 2 it has been so fun. Sarah living in Tel Aviv, Cali right down here in the front, and um, the devotion of moms. We hold every mom here in high esteem and honor, and we salute you. At the same time, we recognize that Mother's Day can be a hard day for many people, men and women, because you had a difficult relationship with your own mom, or because you have lost your mom in recent months, or because you've lost a child miscarriage or the death of a child. We know that's happened for a number of you. We also recognize that many of you would love to be moms, and that has never happened, and my heart goes out to you. And also, some of you have wayward children that have uh, caused a lot of heartache with you, and and we hurt for you. But God knows everything that you're going through. He knows everything in your heart. The Bible says that God is the Father of mercies. (laughs) and the God of all comfort, and God can heal the broken heart. And just encourage you to keep going to him and asking him to heal you. Now, at this point, I'd like to pause and pray for all of the women here, mothers and, and not. And, and if you're 18 or over, would you stand up? I want to pray over you in various ways. All the women here, 18 and up, please stand and let me pray over you. So, Lord God, with all my heart, I want to thank you for every single one of these women. I pray for them, Lord God, that they would see themselves, as you see them, Lord God, as precious, much-loved, adorable daughters in your sight. And, Lord, I pray you would encourage them. I pray, Lord God, that you'd meet every need. I pray that they would drink deeply from the well that is Jesus day after day after day. Lord God, those of, of those here, that today's a hard day for For whatever reason, Lord God, would you please pour out mercy and grace into their hearts. Wrap your arms around them. Let them know that you know and understand and that you care and you can rescue. Be with them, Lord. Lord, for every mom in the house. Lord God, they need your wisdom. They need your grace. They need your uh, mercy. Would you be with them, Lord God, in every way? Now, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful women that you brought to Wood's Edge. Lord God, we pray that your hand of favor, blessing, and honor be upon each one. Lord, these are our prayers. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, women. Thank you. This morning, we're going to look at a small passage in the life of Jesus where Jesus is interacting with his mother. And it is fascinating because the context, Jesus is hanging from a cross, And he has this brief conversation with his mother. It's remarkable. If you'd stand with me, I'm going to read the brief passage in John 19. John's Gospel, John 19, verses 25 through 27. And there we read. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Now, brief, simple, poignant episode, Jesus with his mother. See the scene, Jesus nailed to a cross, bright Palestinian morning, being crucified, four women, all who are close to Jesus, standing around the the, the cross, his own mother Mary, and when Jesus was first born and she and Joseph took him to the temple for dedication, a prophet Simeon said to her that one day a sword will pierce your soul. This is the fulfillment of that. So there's mother, the, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then there is Mary's sister, it says, not named, but elsewhere. It looks like her name was Salome, which was, meant that she was also James and John's mother. James and John, two of the disciples. So if Salome, their mother, is Mary's sister, that would make Jesus the first cousin of James and John. Most likely, they were first cousins. So two women, Mary, Mary's sister, Salome. The third one, Mary of Clopas. We don't know anything else about Mary of Clopas. The fourth one, Mary Magdalene. We know from the Gospels she had been a prostitute. She had been completely ambushed by the grace of God and the love of God. She became a follower of Jesus. Four women at the cross, three of whom are named Mary. Mary. Now, if we had read the previous passage, we also know that there were four Roman soldiers also standing around the cross. So four tough Roman soldiers, four unbelieving men, four believing women. And then there's a ninth person, the disciple, the disciple John, who's standing back a bit, apparently, from the, uh, from the others, close enough to hear what Jesus says, but standing back a bit. Now, it would be highly dangerous for the followers of Jesus to be anywhere near the cross at this point because they had just arrested and crucified Jesus and they could be next. So John, here he is, so close to Jesus. From the Gospels, it appears that John is probably the closest of all the 12 disciples to Jesus, very close. So John wants to be near Jesus in his hour of death but not too close and he's covered over with guilt because the previous night... When the vultures, the soldiers, and the priests, and the religious came into the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, his disciples scattered to the winds. And so he's probably ridden with guilt. That's the scene as we come here. Now, in verse 26, John refers to himself, not by name. Never in his gospel does John refer to himself by the name John. Rather, he calls himself the disciple loved by Jesus. We see that in verse twenty-six when we read, "When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby." Now, that's how he always refers to himself in the Gospel of John. Doesn't say John, doesn't say uh, John, or doesn't say me. He says, "And the disciple loved by Jesus." Isn't that interesting? Isn't it telling? The way John's deep sense of identity was, I am the person loved by Jesus. He's not saying he's the only one loved by Jesus, but I am ridiculously loved by Jesus. He loves me. This is written decades later. And from every evidence in the gospel, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, his letters, in the book of Revelation, he had this deep sense of being loved by God, and henceforth he loved him back. Now, our love for God is always a response of love to his prior love to us. In fact, John says in 1 John 4, 10, and this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. So he's saying, you know, here's the thing about love. It's not that we love God. He loves us. That's the prior love. All of our love is response to feeling loved by God. When I was a young pastor, I was in Roseburg, Oregon, pastoring, and I realized a painful realization. Jeff, you preach about God's love. You speak about God's love. You talk about God's love. But in your heart of hearts, you don't really feel that tender love for you. And I knew that was so crucial that I became a, began a quest to experience God's love for me personally, not in my head, but in my heart. And so I would begin praying prayers like this, Lord, show me your love. Show me your love for me. In fact, even to this day, 35 years later, the most important prayer request that I've got every day is I pray, Lord, show me your love. I pray that for my family. Lord, show us your love. And then when I began reading the Scriptures about that time, Whenever I saw anything about the grace, the kindness, the gentleness, the love, the forgiveness of God, I was particularly alert because it was so important that I not only knew it up here, but I felt it here. Friends, you do not get to the first place in the spiritual life without feeling and experiencing and grasping the deep love of God for you. What would it be like if one day you were like John? When you thought of yourself, you couldn't help but think of yourself, here's the main thing, I am loved by the God of the universe. He is crazy about me. Friends, that changes everything. And you can love him back, you can trust him, you can obey you can worship him, everything changes with the love of God. So this is John. This is how he refers to himself, the disciple loved by Jesus, the disciple Jesus loves Alrighty. Okay, back to the passage. Jesus on the cross, four Roman soldiers, four women with tear stained cheeks, broken hearted, devastated inside. Jesus hanging crucified on the cross. And Jesus speaks to Mary. And I've probably seen his mother there, but 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 it says he, he looked at her. So probably locks eyes with his mom, just a few feet away, and he says to her the tender words, Woman, behold, your son, and probably nods over. He, he couldn't motion with his hands. Nailed to the cross. Woman, behold your son. The English word woman referring to your mom doesn't sound quite right to us. It feels a little harsh. Uh, it's not that way in the original language. It's a tender term of affection. It's okay. It's like, almost like saying mother. It's like dear woman, there's your son. And then he looks to John and says, John, that's your mother. And Jesus is saying to her, he says, I'm going. I'm the eldest son. I'm responsible for your care. Joseph, her husband, had probably been dead for decades, certainly for years. And as the oldest son, it was his responsibility to provide for his mother. He's got some half-brothers, but they're up in Capernaum, and they're not believers. And he's concerned not about just her physical needs, but her spiritual and emotional needs. And here hanging on the cross, he says to his mother, Mother, I'm leaving, but John is going to take my place. He's going to provide for you. He's going to look after you. He's going to be a son to you in my place. You go live with him. And then he looks over to John, hanging on the cross, and he says, John, that's your mother now. You take my place. You take her into your home. You look after her. You provide for her. You love her as if if you were me. She is your mother. Now, isn't that something? I mean, Jesus, he's hanging on the cross. He'd been up all night, sleepless night, through these, you know, these mockery of trials. He'd, the mistreatments that he'd had, the mocking, mocking the, um, the, the, his closest friends had all abandoned him. He's about to be crucified. He is crucified. He's, his back has been scourged and flayed open. I mean, imagine with all of that. Uh, it is normal, Whenever you go through that kind of pain to be bitter, self-preoccupied, and self-absorbed, isn't it? But Jesus, hanging on the cross, at this great moment, is thinking about his mother and providing for her after he leaves. It's an amazing thing. In fact, when you look at Jesus on the cross, you think, wow, that's just amazing. I think three things stand out striking about Jesus in this passage. The first one is just the sheer uh, uh, enormity of the love of Jesus. Just, I mean, He was selfless. He was sacrificial. He was tender. He was compassionate. I mean, with all that was going on for Him to, um, you know, and that hour of, you know, he's, His Roman spikes are driven through His hands and His feet. And the New Testament never makes anything about the physical pain, but we know it's there. He's suffocating But it's not just the physical pain. The bigger issue in the New Testament is the spiritual pain of bearing the world's sin. I'm talking about your sin. Bearing the world's sin and being separated from his father. That's the real pain. Now, at that great moment, I mean, all of his life had been pointing up to this moment. That's why he came to earth to die on a cross for our sins. At the greatest moment in history, at the the most weightiest event in his life, he he has the compassion to look out for his mom. His mom and the other three women, they were there to care for him, to be there for him. But here he is. He's caring for her. He's there for her. It's an amazing thing. The selflessness, the... The love of Jesus. Here's the thing, church. It's not just the love that he has for his mother. This is the same kind of love that Jesus has for you because this is his nature. He is loving, perfect and loving. Now, you got a danger here because all of your life you've heard the lie of Satan in your ears to say, oh, he may love others that way. He may love Billy Graham and Mother Teresa that way, but he doesn't love me. You know, I messed up too much. Uh, that is the lie of Satan. Here's what the Bible says. Here's the, here's the truth of God. For God so loved the world. Not the trees and the rocks. World of people. We read in another passage, Romans 5:8. God proves his own love for us. And this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at the cross. You see Jesus. You see his love for you. The first striking thing we see in this little episode is the overwhelming, outrageous, ridiculous love of God for us. Second thing, we see the way a son honors a mother. Because in the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment says this. It says, honor your father and your mother. Treasure, appreciate, esteem, respect, honor your father and your mother. Here's Jesus at a moment like this taking care of his mother because he's the eldest son, because his brothers are unbelievers, because his, his, uh, her husband has, has already died, he's taking care of his mother. What, what a picture of honoring your mother for us on Mother's Day. I love the way one scholar put it. He put it this way. He says, there is something infinitely moving in the fact that Jesus, in the agony of the cross, when the salvation of the world hung in the balance, thought of the loneliness of his mother in the days ahead. He never forgot the duties that lay to his hand. He was Mary's eldest son, and even in the moment of of his cosmic battle, he did not forget the simple things that lay near home. To the end of the day, even on the cross, Jesus was thinking more of the sorrows of others than of his own. This is a striking example of what it means for a son or a daughter to honor your parents. Jesus honors his mother. So we see the love of Jesus... For us, we see an example of what it means to honor your mother on Mother's Day. One more thing. And this one's not with Mary, actually, but with John, the disciple standing a little bit farther on. Remember John, the night before at the Garden of Gethsemane, in the hour of crisis, deserted Jesus. They fled. They were to the wind. They had protested before, I'll never leave you. I'll die for you. But they didn't. (laughs) They left. His closest friends. Don't you imagine that now, the next morning, seeing his good friend Jesus crucified on the cross, the guilt that overwhelmed him. I mean, Peter wasn't the only one to abandon him. Peter felt bitter guilt, so did John. What does Jesus respond to John and his guilt? Does Jesus pout because his friend let him down? Does Jesus spurn his friend and walk away from him? Does Jesus sort of Write him off and, you know, never going to use you, John. Hardly, hardly. Rather, he gives him the most important job of all. John, you take my place as a son to my mother. You take my mother's place. What we see here is the overwhelming grace of God (laughs) found in Jesus. Because Jesus, when he died on that cross, in a few hours, he would pay for all of John's sins, including that betrayal. And he would die for all of your sins. And here's the lie of Satan. For many of you, that you have messed up, you have failed too badly. I can never use you again. That's the lie of Satan. Here's God's truth. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus has washed you wider than snow. That is the truth of God. And what are you going to do? You're going to listen to the lie of Satan who's out to ruin your soul, or are you going to listen to the truth of God who's crazy in love with you? Easy choice. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And if you have felt that you're on the shelf, God can never use you, repent of your sin and of unbelief, come back to God and say, here I am, send me. Lord, I'm ready for work. I'm ready for whatever you have for me because that is the heart of your God. Church, we see three things about Jesus. We see His overwhelming love. We see the way He honors His mother. And we see the grace of God is bigger than our sin. It seems to me that there are two responses that are just clear from this passage. One, those of us who have mothers who are still alive, that we would honor them. That we would express gratitude. That we would recognize the sacrifice of motherhood that's inherent in it. And that we would honor moms and whatever ways. God leads you to. We'd honor moms. It won't look like the way Jesus did, but we can express what it means to honor your mother and your father. That's one response. There's a deeper response, and that is because when we see on the cross Jesus, we see his love, not just for his mother, we see his love for us because he's not just there taking care of Mary, he's up there paying for your sins and mine. Okay, here's the perfect, infinite, sovereign God who created the universe, came down to this planet as a baby so he could become a real human being so he could die in your place on the cross. And he did it because he loves you. Now, what are you going to do about that? You can ignore it or essentially ignore it and live your own life just kind of shutting him off. You can continue to pursue your own dreams in your life or you can say that kind of love uh, demands my whole life. And you can decide, if he loves me that way, if my God did that for me, then I will surrender all that I have to him, and I will follow him with all my heart. Now, if you had a thousand lives, that would be too few to live for Jesus. But you only got one, and you used another day up yesterday. Make every day, all in, surrendered to Jesus Christ, because he's that kind of God who died for you. Would you please stand with me? If you're here in the room, you've never trusted Christ, you're not sure where you stand, it's not about religion, it is about love affair. It's not about duty, it is about romance, sacred romance, receiving his love, loving him back. I would urge you, in fact, I'd beg you, open your heart to him now and say, Jesus, I need a Savior, and he will come and save you. If you've already done that at some point in the past, but maybe your heart's grown cold, you've got a bit lukewarm, then come home, come home. If you're here and you're already a believer, this is the time, in light of Jesus and the cross, this is the time to fully surrender your heart. Lord, we bless you. We bless you for a savior. We bless you for loving us this way. In Christ's name, amen.